You're listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is all about perspective. Perspective is uh, kind of one of those things that we've been leading up to, if you've followed along through episodes one through nine. And what all of those episodes have kind of given us is a foray into some topics along the lines of how we shape our reality how choices matter, how change can be created through the correlation of choices, how different things affect that reality, such as education, belief, language, relationships, emotions, and a bunch of other things that I haven't really gotten into yet. But essentially, the last three episodes, particularly episodes seven, eight, and nine, where we talk about how the correlation of all these things create our reality and the reality in which we're looking at the world and how our mental health is somewhat a, a shapeable state and how our depression is maybe a way in which we are looking at the world and maybe creating a reality through that depression. And then how choices and change are two pieces of the four primordials. We've talked about uh, how the four primordials in metaphysics, religions, belief structures, and other different philosophical writings out there have to do with creation, destruction, and then choice, which is the representation we're using here for chaos and how choice represents chaos and chaos is one of the primordials. And then how the correlation of choice turns into change and change is represented by order. So we have chaos and order and creation and destruction. And I got into a little bit last episode about how those two pieces, order and chaos, are ever present. And how they ebb and flow throughout creation and destruction cycles. And that creation and destruction cycle is essentially how we deal with the materium or the the world, physical world around us. So today, I want to talk about how that perspective of how we're looking at all of this is one of the big key pieces a lot of metaphysics get into. And it's also a key piece, I think, in the end for how we can attain some sort of mastery over our mental state, over our mental health. And a lot of stuff has been written about the idea of perspective. In fact, just about every major philosophical writer in history, I would say, was a perspective writer. They were writing from a specific perspective that they were cultivating just the idea of cultivation. If you've ever looked into how um, some of the Eastern practices are all about cultivation, chi cultivation, key cultivation, prana cultivation, a cultivator is someone who is trying to attain specific perspectives. And those perspectives are very much based on, the reality in which we're living in. So it's perspective as we'll get into here 
its dual fold piece is perception. So we have perspective and perception. And it's kind of hard to take those two apart. Um, perspective is a, a mental view of things. You can, you know, have a perspective of trying to figure out, you know, geometrical shapes or, you know, how, like we talked about last episode, how your choices will create a cultivation or a, a correlation of change and how if we get a better perspective on those choices, maybe we can have that correlation. So we have that side and then there's perception and perception is the attainment or understanding of an awareness piece or a, a, a piece of awareness that you can attain or understand. So you have perspective, which is kind of the viewpoint, and then you have perception, which is the attainment of that understanding. So they kind of have to go hand in hand here. They are not duality of each other, though. Um, this is kind of where we'll take an offshoot here, and I, I get a lot into balancing factors. Perspective isn't one of the topics necessarily where we need to talk about balance as a, okay, you have to have this without that. Perspective is another kind of bigger overarching concept that will have its own balancing structures inside of it. You will have balancing perceptions and you will have balancing perspectives. So let's get into perspective a little bit here as far as how we might generally use perspective maybe in places that we're not always thinking about. You have a perspective that you're walking through everyday life with. Um, that's, uh, it's kind of just always there. It's always with you. Perspective is something that we use generally to make judgment calls. Um, sometimes we use it for just generalized choices, but specifically perspective is used in when we're making judgmental um, thought processes happen. You might have political perspective. That's not to say that someone has political perception. And this is the difference that I, I want to cover ahead before we get into too much more of the other, you know, woo woo stuff or get into some of the philosophy is you may have a perspective of your political ideas or ideologies um, and that's, that's for everything, perspective, religion, kind of everything we talked about from episodes two to two to six, you know, we have a perspective of those and it's something we've built since we were kids and it should always be changing in my book. Perspective should be something that's kind of along the lines of the, the chaos and order flow of it should be upgrading itself. It should be connecting with itself and, and rearranging how it feels with different information pieces that come in. And that's where perception comes in. So perception is the attainment of an awareness point. So if we have perspective and we have perception, we can build better knowledge structures. We can build a better understanding of just about anything. Whereas, so as whereas perception is the understanding, perspective is the over the overarching piece, the, the point where you're going to reference from. Now, we talked last episode when it comes to change, how the reference point of change is time. If we looked at time from a perspective standpoint, we would be looking at time from an understanding of how we understand time. We can then give qualitative and quantitative a, a, a run for its money here. So 
often we talk about quantitative. Quantitative is the measurement using some sort of numerical structure or data set or something that we consider to be fact-based evidence so we can quantitate it. We can give it a value and we can understand it through that idea. Then there's qualitative and qualitative is perspective. Quantitative is more perception. So we perceive things or can perceive things quantitatively. And that's generally done through the scientific processes. We can then have perspective based on qualitative ideas. And this is where I think perspective can be a dangerous point if it's not kept in check. If you're not constantly kind of checking your perspective or maybe trying to find a different perspective, you can fall into some some dangerous ideas. This is where bigotry comes from. This is where ideology comes from. I would dare say this is where racism comes from, is when perspective isn't challenged and is considered qualitative. When we're making qualitative decisions based on everything around us and it becomes very selfish. And, and I don't use selfish here in a way to say that it's selfish of an idea or it's, it's simply based on the self. And once you get to that point, you've now, you've, you've said pretty much said perception, the attainment of awareness, the understanding of awareness, the understanding of a point or a, a piece of information even doesn't matter to you. You simply want qualitative. This is the exact idea of xenophobia. Xenophobia is um, the fear of anything outside let's use culture as an aspect. So xenophobia in today's world would be the fear of anything outside your culture. Uh, you can have xenophobia in religion. You can have xenophobia in culture. You can have xenophobia just in your own, you know, social circle. That is when we have nothing more than a not a non upgradable and a non persistent or a non learning perspective. It's all qualitative. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the differentiation between you can be qualitative. Um, oftentimes I find that the metaphysics and when we talk about energy structures or, you know, maybe even just the bioelectric field, certain mental conscious states that can be qualitative. That's fine. But qualitative and quantitative, those are, I said, I wasn't going to do it, but here it is. Qualitative and quantitative are two sides of the same coin. They are a way of attaining and interacting with information. Now, perspective is like saying, okay, I have a dictionary and my dictionary is mine, your dictionary is yours. And we've kind of created these dictionaries for ourselves from all of our life experiences, from all the things we've learned throughout, you know, our time here on terra firma and that dictionary or a better word would be encyclopedia. That encyclopedia is how we're going to reference the world. So we're going to intake information and we're going to go to our encyclopedia and we're either going to have to make a new entry and kind of use other entries to make something up. If we don't understand what's going on or we haven't seen this before, or we're going to have done this before. We're going to have, you know, inside the encyclopedia is going to be a, an entry that says, oh yeah, 
I've, I've heard Phil's podcast. I, I know, you know, what he usually talks about and some of the stuff he gets into. And I have my own personal feelings on this and that's how I'm going to, I'm going to come at this is through my encyclopedia. And I say that in the respect that, you know, I find depression is a great encyclopedia. The problem we have with the differentiation between when we get into mental illness and remember, I'm, I'm against putting connotation on mental health. Mental health should we just should just come at that from a neutral perspective. Same thing for depression. We should come at that from a neutral perspective. No connotation yet. When we get into mental illness, illness has a negative connotation. Illness is the removal from homeostasis. We are outside of homeostasis, and thus we have illness. We have disease. Um, these are descriptive. Illness and disease are descriptive forms of something interacting with a complete unit that is now taking it outside of its normal boundaries. Um, we can, I can get into health and all the other aspects of things like that in a, a future topic, but it's important here because in the writings of many philosophical people, like I said, they all come from a certain perspective. A lot of those have to do with science and health and, and those types of things, they come at it from that kind of perspective. Some come at it from a completely alchemical perspective, which is how I got into the writings on alchemy and those types of things. But perspective, again, when it becomes stagnant, when, it, when it's not being upgraded, when it's not being checked, when perception is not being added to perspective, we just end up with that encyclopedia that has no new entries. And it's just, it is what it is, essentially. It's only as good as the information inside of it. It will never get any better. And I would argue this is where we run into xenophobia. We run into racism. We run into bigotry. We run into an aspect of thought that has gone as far as it, it can go. And there's a willful ignorance. Now, remember, I've, I've talked before about I'm, I'm okay with ignorance. You know, in, if you're ignorant through your education because no one ever taught you, that's not your fault. It's now your responsibility to get a better education or to educate yourself better. To willfully not do that, that's ignorance. And that's dangerous. And that's, well, in my book, it, it's, it's unintelligent. You're not, you're not looking farther or at other pieces. This is a massively dangerous topic because when we look at debate structure, which is very common if you look at philosophical writings, a lot of philosophical writings are one person debating another. Um, there's entire philosophical volumes based on the idea of someone just rebuttaling what someone else wrote. And that's their entire philosophical standpoint. That in and of itself is, it can be dangerous, but a lot of times what it's what in philosophical writings, what you'll find is it's typically done as a, what's called a thought experiment, which is something I definitely want to get into when we talk about perspective and also with perception. Perception is more of the thought experiment side of perspective, but perspectives themselves can be thought experiments. And we should constantly be trying to experience new ways of looking at things. 
new ways of deciphering information. Without it, we'd never have advanced as, well, I wouldn't call us civilized, but we would have never advanced civilization as we know it. It's my personal viewpoint that the human condition, the human structure is based on technology. We couldn't survive without technology. And I consider fire a technology. The, the art of or the act of the skill of making fire became a technology. We have now advanced that through technological means to have, you know, lighters in our pockets. You know, if you took a lighter to a cave person, you know, however long ago, or even a Neanderthal or any other humanoid being that's a monkey, doesn't matter. If you were to give them a lighter, that's magic to them. Their perspective couldn't understand what you just did. They didn't have the educational ability to reference anything in their encyclopedia that would make a lighter make sense to them other than you're a fucking wizard. And uh, good job, Harry Potter. You created fire. That's amazing. Well, everybody can have a haggard moment and, you know, be like, you're a wizard, Harry. That's great. But when we reference that point, if you cannot find a way to understand that wizardry, you're now stuck in a perspective that will devolve and will no longer be able to bring you into the future. That's de-evolution. Essentially, I don't like getting into Darwinism, but that is kind of Darwin's major point is the idea that if you don't create a new perspective or have the ability to create a new perspective, you're de-evolving. Um, I would argue that Darwin's point to the idea of, you know, when we call it Darwinism, but when we look at the way he references intelligence is that I, at least I feel Darwin references intelligence as something that's pervasive. Intelligence is something that is creating itself. It's its own trajectory and intelligence is always going to increase. It's kind of like Moore's law with um, uh, the computer technology stuff where, you know, we said like transistors would double every, I forget how many years it is, but essentially there's this increase in intelligence that unless you're willing to and do change your perspective to keep up with it, you'll never, like you are de-evolution. That's kind of my take on Darwinism is there's this progression of intelligence. And unless you change your perspective to upgrade with it, you're just going to be left behind. That's the watching someone do something stupid and learning from their mistakes idea. You know, what we call nowadays as a meme, we call Darwinism. But I feel Darwin wrote about how there is like intelligence is always increasing. It's not stopping for you. It's not waiting for you. It's increasing itself. And thus it's going to continue forward unless you, if you don't also make the effort to do so with it, you're just going to get left behind. And I, I think there's an important idea there when it comes to 
how we can use perspective to make ourselves a little bit more aware of our mental state. No matter what you do, you might not believe it, but every day you're, you're increasing your intelligence in some way or form, be it through muscle memory or actual, you know, sitting down and reading and trying to learn something new, your experiences, which is the human condition. We are here. We, you know, we experience things. That's kind of what our bodies are even designed to do. Your body is designed to sense things it's designed to, you know, and I, it's your body, but your, your body has its own, your body is working w- without you. It, it doesn't need you to figure this shit out. Um, you know, your body already knows hot things are hot. Cold things are cold. Cold will kill you. Hot will kill you. Like your body knows it's homeostasis. It knows how to work itself without you even thinking about it. There's a whole bunch of processes going on in the autonomous nervous system, keeping you alive and you have no control over whatsoever. You're just giving it a little extra brain power here or there. You're just, you know, essentially, you know, you're giving it memory bandwidth and it's doing its thing. Your job is to fuel the system and to make the system better in some ways. Um, we're kind of artificial intelligence in that manner. Your body's the com- a computer doing organic computer shit. And you're the AI trying to, you know, keep it going. It's just a turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn. Anyway, our perspective field in that sense is, okay, if we're constantly getting, quote unquote, more intelligent, or really we're having more experiences, then we should be using those experiences to create a better perspective. And that's how we thrive. That's how civilization thrives. That's how a species thrives by taking in collective and personal experiences and gaining a better perspective. So I ask you, are you doing that? Are we as a whole, as humanity doing that? I don't think so. Not attacking you personally, I think personally humanity as a whole has now in some ways stopped taking in the collective experiences and creating new upgraded perspectives. There's a reason for this because, okay, that's way too far into the woo. We'll get it towards at the end. I promise we'll get into the craziness of going through different, what's called ages, uh, we're leaving the age of Pisces and going into the age of Aquarius. And I know I've lost a ton of people just by saying that, but it's it's a thing. There's cycles. It's the, the world cyclical. Um, and I'll get into that towards the end. But I don't think we've, as a collective whole, continued to upgrade our perspective. When that piece stops, it's up to the individual to do it for themselves. That's, that's, I'm not saying we're like, we're not evolving or like, we're not, you know, making progress. Our progress is slowing and it has been slowing for a long time. The reasons for that could be nefarious. Who knows? I'm not going to get into it right now, but the idea is if you're not upgrading your perspective, the collective is not going to help you do it. 
that's that's where we're at as a societal whole is that the the societal whole is no longer interested in uplifting the individual. Science isn't even interested in doing that anymore. Our scientific progress is slowing rapidly. My personal opinion on that is because we've shunned some we've shunned some experiences from the 1800s and early 1900s that we we've kind of taken a different track and now we need to kind of track back, pick those up and then use them to go forward. But um, that's a whole other topic. If we look at that idea that, okay, collectively perspectives, maybe not upgrading. How do we, how do we use perspective then as an individual to work with our experiences to maybe upgrade our perspective, right? That's, that's really a, a, a important piece here. Um, specifically when it comes to self-awareness and depression. Now, remember, I'm saying depression is a perspective. Self-awareness is more of a perception. So if you use your depression as a perspective of, here's my mental landscape, this is the view I have of of the world around me. That's my vision piece. Um, Because that's really perspective is a mental process of like taking a mental landscape. Alchemy deals deals with this a lot. I talked about that um, last episode about how the alchemical processes can be done in in what's considered the mental space or the mental landscape and applied in that way. So if we look at depression as the perspective or the viewpoint of the mental landscape, the perception is the mental awareness. And we can break that down and make it much smaller because sometimes it's easier to take a real big piece and make it into smaller pieces. And that's what perception does. Perception is the idea that we're going to take these big pieces of awareness and make them just a little bit smaller. And we can use all the things I've talked about in other episodes as ways to do that, or we can get even smaller into the minutia. Um, This is what we call thought experiments. And it's a great challenge and a, a great boon to do thought experiments. Um, it, it's sometimes tough to give yourself a thought experiment to run, but it really is a good practice to get into. This is usually the methodology of most meditation systems. Now, I'll remind you, I will remind you, sorry. Um, meditation is just awareness of breath. Anyone that wants to argue that, I don't care. I'm done talking about that idea when it comes to, you know, like what meditation is. Meditation is awareness of breath. What does that mean? When you become aware of your breathing, you take control of your breathing state, which is the representation of interacting with the autonomous nervous system, period. That's what meditation is. It is the interaction between you and your nervous system, specifically the autonomous nervous system, which we rarely interact with. Now, remember, that's the nervous system that controls your heartbeats. Like I was talking about how like your body's just living its life. It's doing its thing. And you're just the AI kind of controlling it. That's the autonomous nervous system. It's keeping you alive. It's also doing a bunch of other things like circadian rhythm and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Your vagus nervous system has a lot to do with how this works. Um, but again, meditation just awareness of breath. It is that click over between bodies existing to, Hey, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to interact with my body. Now I'm going to interact with my nervous system. I'm going to take control of that. And then we have conscious control, 
over a piece of the autonomous nervous system. And then we have an interaction there. Beyond that point, you are now into a meditation system. And I draw a firm line between meditation and meditation systems. Meditation systems are great. They're ways of meditating. They're ways of doing things while meditating. You can use breathing patterns. The military has their own set of breathing patterns for their marksmen, for, you know, all sorts of different things. They have a whole breathing pattern for how to fall asleep easier. Um, I forget the exact name of it, but it's usually commonly referred to as the hammock method, uh, where you, you stand, you sit on the side of your bed or, you know, their cot and you do a, a, a breathing exercise and then you lay down and you do the same breathing exercise by rocking yourself back and forth and supposed to simulate the, the hammock rocking. And it's an entrainment method to help them fall asleep quicker. It's really cool. If, if you want to get into like how to help yourself maybe fall asleep quicker, that method works for the military and they put a lot of research into it and it might work for you too. So again, I, I believe it's the common reference is the military hammock sleep method, something along those lines. If you duck, duck, go that or Google it. Um, so coming back now, if we have a meditation system, that system is often dealing with thought experiments. That's what those transcendental meditation. That's what, um, I'm terrible at naming all the new, there's new age meditation or transcendental. There's all sorts. There's tons of meditation systems out there. Pick one and look at it. They're going to have, if they're a true meditation system, they have to at least talk to you about breathing because if they're not doing that, it's not meditation. Sorry. That's the rule. Meditation's awareness of breath without, without talking about breathing, you're not meditating. That's, that's the answer. So beyond that, they might have a way of what to do with your thoughts. What should I be thinking about? What should I not be thinking about? How to quiet my mind? Those types of things. Use your third eye. Use your, you know, your mind's eye. Those are part of the system. And those are typically thought experiments. Your imagination is a thought experiment. You're just creating simulations in this liminal space that we sometimes only see when we close our eyes or, you know, maybe if you're a daydreamer and you can, you know, see stuff in your visual cortex and blank out and do that. That's great. I'm, I'm terrible at doing that. I'm terrible at doing like the daydreaming thing. Terrible at taking naps, to be honest. But that space, that liminal space of imagination, of, you know, dreamscapes, those stuff, those are thought experiments. They're simulations we're running in our, our mind. A space that we think usually exists in our head, but in reality, that space is even bigger than the world that we know around us. And it's often a space where if you've, you know, follow some of the research, we deal with stress and we deal with, you know, hard problems and things, you know, constant reactions or repetitive issues in our life. Uh, I used to be when I was sidebar, uh, when I worked at the accounting firm during tax season, the accountants work, I, I did it too, but the CPAs really, they work their asses off. 
I've watched the CPAs, you know, they'll work 70 hours, 80 hours a week, you know, for that short period of time of tax season, six, seven weeks, whatever it is. And they, every once in a while, you'll find one of them comes across a, a tough tax return that they're like trying to figure out. Like it's just it's a lot of complexity and like, you know, there's just a lot of crap going on with it. And then you like, they have to look up like laws and rules and like, how do you deal with this, this, that, and the other thing. It was common for me to hear one of them say like, oh yeah, I figured it out while I was sleeping last night. Like their mind is so, you know, entrapped in that work process that they use that, that creative liminal space or even subliminal of, you know, that dreamscape world to figure out the answer. We've also seen this in philosophical writings as soon as humans started writing. It's pretty common to hear about um, Einstein's bathtub. He used to just hang out in his bathtub and have breakthroughs. There's, there's stories like that. I'm going to not be Einstein. Don't quote me on that one, but um, there's stories of some of the great thinkers in the world or philosophical writers beyond that, even, you know, religious prophets or figureheads, um, these types of individuals having some sort of, be it a, a, you know, a prophetic dream or a routine set of ways they go about having breakthroughs, you know, maybe the bathtub experiments. This has a lot to do with the vagus nervous system and your vagus nervous system is your perspective of rea- of material. I won't say reality, but of material. Your vagus nervous system is constantly checking in on everything going on around it. Electric magnetic radiation, force and impact, temperature, you know, internal components of the human system, like what's going on with your kidneys, lungs, it's checking on everything all the time. Its perspective is simply survive, thrive. How do we do that? Okay. We take an information. We, Oh, that's danger. Adrenaline rush. Cortisol levels are now going to increase because you know, we're going to have stress serotonin to balance, you know, the vagus nervous system helps start that process because it's constantly taking information. If you look at the vagus nervous system, um, I believe the Mutter Museum uh, at one point did a layout of a cadaver where they just took the nervous system and laid it out like on a sheet of paper um, of just like no muscles, no bones, just the nervous system. You're like a giant freaking antenna. You're like an upside down antenna. It's really cool to look at if you're not squeamish. Um, claws on that one. But this is where I think everyone should have to learn about anatomy and physiology because when you start learning about the human system, you gain a great perspective, which allows you to have better perception because that's what your body's doing. It's perceiving constantly. This is what our senses are. So much so that if we look at Aristotle, Aristotle wrote about senses and Aristotle wrote about when he, uh, specifically when he wrote, um, well, when he talks about metaphysics, Aristotle writes about how intrinsically the human mind wants to know. It wants to know things. It wants information. It wants to gain information. And we can tell that 
because we have senses. Our senses are just information gatherers. We're not even in control of them most of the time. Like your physical form is doing stuff. It's, it's taking in information. We are information gatherers. Like I said before, we survive on technology. Without technology, we would die. That's just how the human system is. Do with that information what you will. I take it to mean that like, there's no way we would exist here without technology. So there had to be some sort of technology to begin with. Anyway, when Aristotle writes about metaphysics and he talks about how, you know, we want to gain information that like what our senses are built to do. That's the base level. He gets far deeper than that, but at a base level idea, that's what he talks about. Now, when we look at that idea of, okay, we intrinsically are information gatherers. That means we have a great chance at constantly upgrading our perspective. In fact, perception wise, we're amazing perceivers. That's what we were designed to do. Just about any creature is designed to be a perceiver. You know, the hare has to perceive if it's being chased by the wolf. The wolf has to perceive where the hare's going. It's constant in this regard. This is the flow of chaos and order. We are great perceivers. Um, So much so that we can take perception and create new or destroy old ways of perspective. So we can create these again, in like say using an imaginary space in our minds, having these thought experiments to come up with new information. We can combine information together and create new ways of looking at things. This is a very powerful tool. So when we coming back to mental health and depression, if depression is your perception, I'm sorry, perspective, if depression is your perspective, and your self-awareness is your perception, I would, I would say they go hand in hand then, just like I talked about how perspective and perception do go hand in hand. If perception is the attainment and understanding of something, of awareness, then perspective is the viewpoint created by those attainment pieces. So if we want to get control of our depression, we must first have better self-awareness. And I I know self-awareness is, well, it's daunting, but you were designed to do it. You were designed to have self-awareness. As a human structure, as a human system, you're designed to be aware of yourself and your surroundings. So much so that we created the autonomous nervous system. The human body evolved into the idea that we should have a whole system we don't have to worry about that just keeps the body alive as best it can so that our active nervous system can perceive the world around us and we can spend more time hunting and gathering, creating new technology, watching TV. We're designed to do that. We're designed to be self-aware. That would be the argument most 
metaphysicians or metaphysic writers, philosophy writers, and even some religious writers state the purpose of consciousness. That consciousness is the aspect of self-awareness to be aware of oneself. If the consciousness wasn't aware of itself, well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't exist. Essentially, we would have never invented new technologies. If the consciousness couldn't be aware that we as humanity survive on technology, we would have, we would have never, we never gotten this far. So this, this is where my idea that I stated before about how I feel the overarching societal perspective is no longer keeping up with the intelligence level. That's where that comes from. That it's time for the individual to take better care and control of their perspective because the, the collective has gone awry. Knowing that we survive on technology, we are a technological species, we require it to survive, we require it to thrive, we require it even just to entertain ourselves. Keep in mind, like, writing is a technology. Okay, so like, even if you're just like a, like, if you're like, screw, you know, technology, computers, blah, 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 well, I'm just going to read books. Writing is a technology. Language is technically a technology. So, yeah, you still need technology to live. Anyway, so if we if we look at that idea, we can we can take war into into the perspective, right? We can look at war, and this is the thought experiment for using perspective and perception that I'm going to use right now. If the collective is still warring, then the perspective has not changed. We are still the same perspective that we were thousands of years ago when we were warring over resources. And the perceptions have not, they've, they've gained no intelligence. They've gained no new knowledge. We've become aware of no new method to survive. We are then stuck. And that's where I feel the collective is right now. The collective idea is that we must continue to war. We must continue to hoard and to collect and to keep to ourselves. Not just resources. That's a different conversation. I'm more I'm talking about this in the mental landscape. We hoard knowledge. We keep things secret. We do this maybe instinctually. Maybe this is as far as humanity can go. Maybe this is what we intrinsically are as a people, as a species, is we can over we can never overcome this level of our perspective and we can never become better. And then yeah, for Till we blow up the whole fucking planet, we're going to war. We're going to kill each other. We're going to keep secrets. We're going to, you know, commit 
terrible atrocities because we weren't able to be better. We weren't able to change our perspective. So that's my thought experiment for how we can look at the idea of perspective and perception when it comes to the collective and the individual. Now, again, if the collective is no longer willing to make itself better, then it lies on the individual. You must now make yourself better. You must now create a new, better perspective because one is not going to be given to you. It does not exist. This is the changeover when it comes to ages. And I'm still not ready to get into that part of the conversation, but if we use my common term that comes from, you know, the great mystery schools as above, so below, if the as above is the collective and the collective is stagnant, then so below we would expect to see stagnation and we have suicide rates are through the roof. And that's not just because of the pandemic, they've been slowly increasing forever now because we've never addressed mental health, depression, self-awareness. We've, we're not addressing it. That's the collective not doing that. So it's up to the individual. You must now address it yourself to create balance perspective and perception. If we want to go back to the Tai Chi reference, the diagram that I've referenced for the last two episodes, single point, point with a dash line around it in a circle, solid circle, separation of sides, the white circle and the black circle, that separation of sides, that is the perspective and perception zone. That is the part of the diagram where perspective and perception comes into. And again, if you're, if your perspective is stagnant, if it's not doing anything, then it's bigotry, it's xenophobia, it's, it's not getting better. You're only going to have one outcome. You're only going to choose that small menu of choices. You're only going to have that specific reality and that only one way of looking at things. And it's might be because your education hasn't upgraded, your belief structures are keeping you blinded, your relationships are repressing you, the language you're surrounded by has not allowed you to you know, create a new perspective. That's why I got into all those topics is to get to this point here. You have to break that cycle. You have to use perception to create a new perspective. Only you can do that for yourself. And this is why I'm so adamant about saying how depression is individual and I can never understand your depression, nor can you understand mine. I'm not saying we shouldn't have empathy and sympathy and try to have a, a, an understanding between individuals or the whole itself, but it's impossible to understand how someone has lived their lives without being in their mind, seeing it through their eyes. And this is where, Zen Buddhism is where my perspective changed the most. And I would argue Zen Buddhism writes the most about perspective. I'm going to have to go off on a small tangent here before we come back around, but I'd like everyone to know that the history of Buddhism gives us two main branches that we, we, we talk about most often in today's society. 
that is we have Zen Buddhism, which has become its own meme. And a lot of people talk about being Zen and unfortunately they really don't know much about it. Um, and then there's Chan Buddhism and Chan Buddhism is its own. It's not Chan Buddhism isn't referenced as much specifically here in the West. It's referenced more in the East because it's, it's more of um, a Chinese version of Buddhism. That's a, a scary statement and it's a, a little bit false to make that, but give me a second here to, to bring it into perspective. There was Buddhism. And if we want to just take the, let's just take the easy method of looking at Buddhism. We have the Dharmic and Karmic teachings of the Bodhisattva that goes from, let's, Let's just make it super easy. We have the Brahmin in India. And they have this teaching of Dharma and Karma. I'm keeping it very base level here. That moves from a prince. There was a prince known as the Buddha. Well, became known as the Buddha. But a, a Brahmin was a, a high-level person in the caste system uh, in India. So think ruling class here. A prince in the Brahmin decides this isn't the life they want to live, takes all the teachings that they were given throughout their life so far and moves to take a journey across the East. They spread the teachings into mainland China. And the methodologies at the time end up creating something a lot of people can, can grasp. A lot of people can like really get behind because Buddhism is at that point is really teaching individualism over collectivism and teaches a lot about self-awareness. And before that, it's really talking about how one can change their standing in life or be more content with it. Okay. So those teachings come across China. We get the, at that point, whole of Buddhism in what's called the canonical records. And once that leaves China, it goes over to Japan. It spreads out a little bit further, but one of the big trans, uh, trans uh, dental pieces of it. I'm using that specifically for a reason, but one of the big changes, we'll say it that way. One of the big changes Buddhism undergoes is it goes to Japan and there it becomes Zen Buddhism. Zen Buddhism doesn't stay in Japan. It leaves Japan and comes back to mainland China and is incorporated into Chan Buddhism, which had been flourishing in China the entire time. A wonderfully amazing, great historical telling of the history of Buddhism, uh, specifically Zen Buddhism, was written by Thomas Hoover. It's known as the Zen Experience. If you, if you want to get a better idea of all this, he does a fantastic job laying out the history of Zen Buddhism. But here's the main reason I'm bringing this up. 
The differentiation between Chan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, there's two main referenceable differentiations. There's the books they use, the canonical writings. We have the Mahayana and the Vishnahana. Those are the canonical writings. They have been added to. They were added to along the way. But the Mahayana and the Vishnahana, um, I always get this backwards and I apologize, but the Vishnahana is the lesser canon and the Mahayana is the greater canon. And I probably have that backwards because I always get it that way. But anyway, essentially what you have is you have the books that the Brahm, the Bodhisattva, the Buddha, the you know Brahmin taught brings with them and spreads throughout China goes over to Japan. Japan incorporates it into Zen Buddhism and then sends that back with their new updated uh, canonical writings back to China, who had at the same time been upgrading their canonical writings by their masters and their teachers and then incorporates the ones from Zen Buddhism and then that becomes the greater canon. So there's more books, more canonical writings. That's the, that's the first major difference is this there's more books in Chan. There's more canonical writings in Chan Buddhism than there is in Zen Buddhism. The second major piece is perspective and perception, mainly perspective. Here's the major piece of differentiation perspective. We have the Chinese mind. We have the Japanese mind. The Japanese mind and the Chinese mind see things differently when it comes to the primordials. They both agree on creation and, and destruction. There's no argument there. They highly disagree on the, the flow of chaos and order. The Chinese mind, specifically at that time, and can be followed through the canonical records of Chan Buddhism, if you, if you look at the way they perceive things says essentially, and I'm, I'm boiling this down greatly and I highly recommend doing your own research because I'm just an idiot on the internet. Right? So take this all with a grain of salt and look at it yourself. Again, Thomas Hoover's Zen experience, fantastic book to read to get the history of Zen also covers the Chan side a little bit too, but the Chinese mind says everything is created perfect. Creation happens. There's perfect order. Creation creates order. And then once something's created, it slowly becomes chaotic. It degrades over time. No matter what you do, it's going to degrade itself and it's going to get worse and it's going to degrade eventually and become too chaotic that it, it becomes destroyed. So essentially everything is created perfect and then degrades into destruction and degrades, degrades into chaos. Everything goes from order to chaos. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's just how it is. The Japanese mind, opposite. The Japanese mind thinks everything's born from chaos, created from chaos, and with time, perseverance, and effort, becomes perfect can become perfect. And the, the idea there is to always strive to make something better, to do your job better, to do your craft better. And we can see this in their cultures. If you look at the cultures 
historically, that's a big piece to them is how they see that flow of chaos and order, what their perspective is. So if you're born into one of these perspectives, that's how you're going to go about your life. That's how you're going to, you know, see things. That's how you're going to act. And that is the differentiation of Zen Buddhism and, and Chan Buddhism is the cultural aspect that they added to it. The cultural perspective that was added to the canonical records. And this is why perspective is so important. Our perspectives are how we intake information, experiences, knowledge, all of these things, and what we do with it, which is why your perspective should be looked at. You should, you should, you should think about these things. You should do thought experiments because that perspective is going to have an effect on everything else. If you're only seeing things one way from one perspective and it never changes, the outcome is always going to be the same. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Now, I always like to joke that insanity is not a bad place to be because being insane, you're inside of sanity. It's a good place to look at things because you're stuck. You're stuck in that loop. And to break the loop, to break the cycle, you have to change perspective. And we can do that through perception. In Zen Buddhism, which was the, that was the school that I learned. I was taught Zen Buddhism. In Zen Buddhism, there's a lot of stylized writing about perception. And I'll never do it justice. It, it's much better to go and like actually read the canonical writings. Um, and also, if you just want to get a good like overview look, again, Thomas Hoover's The Zen Experience. When we look at how Zen Buddhism writes about perception, this is how... I became aware of the necessity to perceive other perspectives. That's the greatest thought experiment you can have when it comes to perspective is to try to perceive someone else's. I would argue that introverts do this constantly. I know I do. And it was like something I did unconsciously that I wasn't always aware of that became almost a game to me. Like that it was just a constant thing to do. I also think that a lot of creative individuals do this. They're just not always aware that that's how they're doing it. That they're using other perspectives to create their creativity or using a, a thought process, a thought experiment of looking at other perspectives to get a better understanding. Um, I think some of the greatest thinkers in our, in our, our world, our history have been that way. And I think it's a way to be a great thinker is to take yourself out of your perspective and put yourself into someone else's. We, you know, we hear this constantly when you hear, you know, walk a walk a hundred miles in someone else, walk a thousand miles in someone else's shoes. I don't think that changes your perspective. I think you can put someone else's shoes on and get a, a better understanding maybe of who they are, but it doesn't, it doesn't put you in their perspective. This is my argument that 
we can try to perceive someone else's perspective or get a better understanding of it, we'll never be able to. That's depression. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do that because by doing that, we make our perspective better. We're able to perceive things differently and thus we're able to continue to upgrade our perspective along that intelligence line, along that trajectory that leads away from stupidity into intelligence. And that's where checking in with our perspective can be a very powerful tool for change. And it can also be a powerful way of auditing what's going on with us. You know, has our perspective changed? Has your perspective changed over your lifetime? How has it changed? Why has it changed? Remember, I don't like why questions. So when I do ask them, it's, it's kind of important. You know, how's it changed? Why has it changed? What has changed your perspective the most? You know, that's a, that's a great one. Zen Buddhism changed my perspective a ton. Studying Zen Buddhism, studying metaphysics, studying philosophy, looking at all these different writing pieces, stoicism, just that alone. If, you know, if someone wants to master their emotional awareness, stoicism is a, is an interesting way of going about it because the perspective and perception of stoicism comes from a specific individual. I may have gotten into this before, but Marcus Aurelius wrote meditations and we kind of use that as like the Holy grail of stoicism. Marcus Aurelius wrote meditations because he couldn't write his perspective or share his perspective with anyone else. He was the leader of a civilization and had enemies on all fronts. He also had massively loyal individuals on all fronts as well, but he couldn't share his perspective because he was stuck in the top and sharing it would have created avenues or vectors for his enemies to have either killed him or take control or to undermine him in different ways. So he wrote his meditations. He wrote his inner workings in a journal. He expected no one to be able to find or read. In no way was he trying to create some article on stoicism or, you know, emotional awareness and repression. Um, he specifically goes over his historical reference points, his historical perception of the individuals around him that shaped his perspective. The book meditations, Marcus Rowley's meditations or the collective of collection of writings that became the book uh, we call Marcus Rowley's meditations is a fantastic look at how someone changed their perspective across the history of their lifetime and picked out certain specific, at least conceptual ideas, maybe not completely principal ideas, but conceptual ideas of how to be who they wanted to be. It's, that's what that is. It's a, it's a, a, an account of his perspective and how it became. He in-depthly looked at the things that changed his perspective over time to be the person he was, to have the outlook he had, 
the way he viewed things. He specifically writes about his family members and how, you know, his father, you know, gave him this perspective. His father was just like, do your job, keep your head down, you know, but be humble and, you know, provide like, and then how, you know, his mother was the more caring emotional aspect. And like that level of self-awareness of self perception created ultimately the book on stoicism, the book on self-control. So the method obviously works if you sit down and do the work, if you put in the time and the effort. There can be a lot of change. Remember, change is the correlation of choice. And choice is chaos. Change is order. There's always creation. There's always destruction. But they're finite. Chaos and order are ever-present. Our perspective is the starting point. Your perspective is Wuchi. It is everything that came before. If we look at you know the Tai Chi diagram again, your perspective, arguably in alchemy, is prima materia. Your mental landscape, it's where your mind is. It's what your mind is capable of doing. If your perspective has connotation, everything is going to have that connotation. If your perspective which I call your, you know, that's what I call depression is a perspective is connotated negative. Everything's negative. Everything sucks. The world fucking blows, you know, I'm bored. There's nothing on TV to watch. You know, everything's laziness. Everything's horrible. Everything, you know, even a compliment is terrible. Fuck you. That's, that's why I take the connotation off depression. That's why I take connotation off mental health. If we start with a perspective with a connotation or if our perspectives have connotation, our perception will always be that connotation. There is no changing that. Perspective creates the angle of view for perception. So eliminate your connotation. We need to do that collectively as a whole, but again, I feel like the collective whole is now stagnated. The perception is not changing. We are a warring, fickle, stupid populace. That can't continue. So much so that the world itself won't allow it to. Because we are humanity. We exist with technology. We must have technology to exist, which means we must create new, better technology. Well, what does that mean as a whole? If the stagnation of the populace is collective in the world's perspective, and there must be forced change. And if the collective, the above, is solidified in not moving and not bettering itself, then the individual must balance that. The individual must better themselves. They must look at their perspective. They must change the connotation themselves. This is a fun workaround way to say no one's going to help you. That's how this is. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to make you think. 
That's the whole point, or one of the whole points of this podcast, is to make you think. And yes, I try to give, you know, places to start from or, or ways to look at things, questions to ask yourself, different, you know, a different perspective maybe, or different maybe understanding, a different perception value. Push for change. You know, maybe a maybe a positive note or a non-connotated note. But I can't help you. As a massage therapist, I regularly get told, oh, you healed me. I adamantly fight against that. I do not heal anyone. I've never healed anyone in my life. I remind your body what to look at. Your body does all the fucking work. When a massage therapist or a, 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 a medical professional or something like that heals you, that's not that doesn't exist. Your body does all the work. Your body has all of the intelligence to heal itself. It's your, your body's smart as shit. It knows a lot. It sometimes needs outside intervention. So what I say is instead of I heal people, I don't heal anyone. I simply remind your body where to look because it forgot. And we're at that point in time as a collective whole that we've forgotten where to look. So we have to look at the individual. That's where we have to look. This is my, this is me reminding the collective Nope, it's no longer a collective idea. It's an individual idea. And that's why I say no one's going to help you. You have to help yourself. The collective has given up on the individual. We've been here before. We've done this before. We just slogged through it and things got worse and then things got better. And the creation and destruction cycle has just continued and the chaos and order has just become rampant on both sides. Remember, chaos measures order, order measures chaos. They are two sides to one coin. Thus, in that respect, if chaos becomes more chaotic, order must rise to equivalent. If the destruction becomes magnitudally bigger, the, the creation must also do so. The collective has given up on changing its perspective. You must now as an individual help yourself. No one's going to do it for you. And anyone who wants to whimsically walk in with a magic fucking wand and tell you, I'm going to make everything better for you. They're not. They're going to make everything better for themselves somehow because they're selfish. And that's a selfish statement. To believe that you can change someone else is selfish. You must give the other individual the tools, knowledge, and education to do it for themselves. That's a rule. It has to be that way. If you try to change someone else, you're changing the collective. You're not changing the individual. The individual must change itself. This is why I tell people, covet your choices. Covet your change. Covet your perspective. Do not give control of your perspective to anyone else. Don't give to me. Don't give it to your parents. Don't give it to your neighbor. Don't give it to the government. Don't give it to anyone else. You must control your perspective. And you must understand that your perspective has to change. If you want it to, it will. But you have to want it. You have to put in the effort. You have to put in the work. And everyone else wants to tell you, I'll hold your hand. I'll pat your back. I'll make it better. No, they're not. They're not going to make it better. You have to make it better yourself. Period. 
this is where we get into some of the woo woo stuff. I know we got a little serious on you right there, but we're literally going into this as a collective. We have cycles. Everything's cyclical. And in the woo woo world, in the astrological world, you know, when we talk about astrology and all these different things, there's all these cycles. And unfortunately, there's been a set of bad actors over the last hundred years or so creating a false narrative of how these cycles interact and what these things mean. And you have things like Tarot and you have things like Tarot. Uh, you have things like Tarot and you have things like metaphysics that have been taken seriously for a very long time from the 17th century on mostly 15th century on really, if you, if you really want to get into some of the writings, I mean, it can go way, way back, but like they took this stuff seriously. And then a bunch of bad actors came out and then you had a bunch of people saying that they were going to have, you know, let me talk to, let me go roll around in my grass in my backyard and, and tell you what your dog's thinking about. Fuck those people. Okay. Those are what I call breathy guru douchebags. The idea of gurus, bad, 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 bad. The, the word guru, nope. Shouldn't trust that. Definitely don't trust that. Look into that. Look into what a guru really is. A guru, I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to get heated. I'm going to get mad. I'll get into it another time. It'll get us off topic here. We're already pretty far off topic. This idea of bad actors, they were given a voice. And I'm here to take that voice away from them. But I'm also here to instill the idea that information and that knowledge and that 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 level of wisdom didn't go anywhere. It still has a place. We just need to take the connotation off of it. Okay, we gave a bunch of stupid idiots the ability to be like, oh, I can read your aura. And people can't. Not those morons trying to charge fucking $300 to do so and, you know, wave some fucking pixie dust in the air and tell you you're going to have a happy life and six kids and blah, blah, blah. People can do that, but the people doing that are just like the old martial arts masters that I used to know. They're humble. They don't brag. Typically, they don't even want to show off their skills because they know they're just going to get a shit. They're just going to get shit for it. And people are going to be like hounding them. And so they're, they know the rule. They can't hand you the answers. They can't just give you a silver platter. When you give people silver platters, you create entitlement. And that's where we are as a societal whole. The perspective is entitlement. Well, entitlement doesn't work. You can make a better life for someone. Certainly you can strive to give the next generation more opportunity and a better living situation, better technology so that they can do the same. That's how you propagate a species. That's how you continue in perpetuity. What you can't do is not allow them to understand that's not how it works without the massive amount of effort that gets put in to make that happen. You must have effort. And that's my rant about how you need to do this for yourself. If you're going to have self-awareness, 
If you're going to have a better understanding of your depression to be able to use it as a tool, you must put in the time and effort yourself to change your perspective, to have better perception, to perceive when others are full of shit and then call them out on it and just not deal with them. You don't even have to get aggressive about it. You can just be like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that person because they're stupid and that's okay. When we do that as an individual, eventually the collective has to catch up and be like, oh, okay. Maybe, just maybe as a thought experiment, we shouldn't give a small populace, a small amount of the populace, full control of choice and change. Maybe that's a bad idea. We should, we should take that away from them. We shouldn't give it to just a small amount of people. We should make it as a you know individual. Maybe we shouldn't allow the perspective of a couple people to rule the perspective of the whole. And that's where if you want to get into the astrological side of things and the woo-woo side of things, and we look at cycles, we are coming out of the cycle of Pisces and we're going into the cycle of Aquarius. We, before Pisces, we had the cycle of Ram. And when you look at astrology, they are archetypes. And I definitely want to get into this more in future episodes, but if we just take for right now, just as a perspective, if astrology just represents archetypes, then they're really just traits. We're just giving a, a list of traits of a, a an individual, or in this case, when we look at the cycle, I think it's 2,200 years or something, 2,700 years, something like that. That's the cycle that we're going through. So the, the archetype of the ram, the traits that were involved in that were the creation of religion, creation of you know, societies of, of literally towns and structure and, and, you know, social, you know, structure that was, that was Ram, you know, drive forward and create and, and make, and, you know, build the community. Once we came out of the, that representation, that archetype, we went into Pisces and Pisces was the school of, it's the school. It, it's the group of fishies. It's, it's the, school of fish. Everyone comes together and they follow the school of fish. If you've ever seen, you know, um, sharks or whales swimming and like they have a school of fish and the fish move away from the predator, but they move together as one whole, you know, it's the herd mentality. Go watch some alpacas run away from, you know, what they perceive as a, a, a threat. They move together. It's cool to watch. A lot of herd animals do that. But we have Pisces, the school of fish, and all the school of fish move together and they do things together and it's all collective. That's done for now. We've exhausted that ability. We've exhausted as far as that will get us. And now we're going into the age of Aquarius. And the archetype of Aquarius is knowledge and wisdom of the individual. It's time for the individual to educate themselves. We tried to give the next generation a silver platter, and that was a problem. We need to take away the entitlement because we've done them a disservice by doing so. And I think as an elder or millennial, I can tell you we've done a disservice to the millennials. We've done a disservice to a bunch of, you know, the boomers, everybody. That separation is a perspective. You know, if you want to be a boomer's perspective, you want to be a millennial's perspective, that's fine. 
again, that's collective association of a perspective and perception, not the answer. You can't give them the silver platter and, you know, make things easy. I'm sorry. I tell you at the beginning of this, actually, no, I'm not fucking sorry. At the beginning of this podcast in the intro, come get triggered. Safe spaces don't work. You know what a safe space should be? Safe space should be a place you can go if there's physical abuse, if there's violence around you, that's a real safe space. You want to fucking find a safe space, find a military base. That's a safe space. All right. People will shoot you if you're not supposed to be there. A room in a building where education is supposed to be occurring that you can go because you just can't deal. That only exists in that location. That doesn't exist in the real world. If you can't deal at work, you're going to get fucking fired. And then you're not going to have an income. And then because you don't have an income, you're not going to have somewhere to live. And then when you ask for a safe space, people are going to point to the river. There's your safe space. Go live by the river. Good luck. That's reality. That's how culture works. That's how society works. And we just want to like dance around it for some reason. That there isn't oppression. That there isn't you know, all these other different shitty perspectives that we allow to be placed upon us constantly because we don't prepare individuals to create their own perspective and have a strength of perception to perceive when someone's being a fucking asshole. And then to look at that person and be like, you know what? You're being an asshole. I don't want anything to do with you. It doesn't need to be a violent altercation. It doesn't mean to be any of that stuff. You want a true safe space? Walk away. If you just can't deal, just walk away. And find a better way to deal with the situation. Take time. Remember when I talked about, you know, last time, taking time. There's only two major emergencies in the world. Unstoppable bleeding and asphyxiation. Other than that, you probably have some time. Even if a volcano blows up next to you, you probably have some time to think, which way should I run? Okay, now start running. We have to upgrade perspective. And that starts as an individual. So if you can't get on board with this, okay, I get it. That's fine. Become stagnant. Don't upgrade your perspective. I have no problem with that. I'm not here to help you. For those individuals who understand the importance of upgrading perspective and want that change or want those choices or, you know, just generally want to get better or be better, it's up to you as an individual to do so. There's plenty of opportunity out there to do it. Go do it. Gary Vaynerchuk, if Gary Vaynerchuk ever hears this podcast, slim to none chance there. You know, Nike might say just do it, but Gary Vaynerchuk, he says just start. And I like that better. I like his methodology of how he puts that. Just start. That's all you have to do. You just have to start perceiving, understanding you're perceiving, what you're perceiving, upgrade your perspective. And then incrementally, again, take time, work forward. That's all. But it's up to you. It's not up to anybody else. And that's my argument of perspective. Perspective is individual and communal, but the communal is now stagnant. And it's time for the individual take control of their perspective and do what they will with it. 
So start asking yourself some, some big questions. Start asking yourself some little questions. Generally work on your perspective. And when you work on your perspective and specifically, you know, if you want to take the route I took with Zen Buddhism or, you know, it's not just Zen Buddhism, but a lot of metaphysical writing and a lot of philosophical writing is to remove yourself from your perspective and try to place yourself in someone else's or try to place yourself in just a different perspective in general. You know, I like to say fake it until you make it. And that's a possibility here is if you want to just take yourself out of your perspective and put yourself into a different one, sometimes that'll be enough if you're just trying to fake it to get you just to change your, your general perspective as a, you know, incrementally or, you know, figure something out. That's known as acting. That's what actors do, specifically method actors. They put themselves in the perspective of the character. And that's a list of different ways they perceive things that create that perspective. You know, if it's a, if it's a villain, the perception is probably negative connotated, evil intention. So they create a list or way of, you know, a specific set of perceptions to create the overarching character perspective. And that's, again, what I was talking about with the astrology and the ages is their archetypes. And the archetype we're going into now is of the individual and its knowledge and its wisdom and how it deals with things. So as an individual, how are you with your understanding of your perspective? Has it changed in your life? Why has it changed? How has it changed? What has changed it? How can you change it? What other perspectives can you look at? How can you maybe perceive things a little bit different? Can you go back and use a different perception on something in your past to get a better understanding of it? That's the Marcus Aurelius meditations, you know, stoicism method. Can you try to look at things from another individual's perspective to get better clarity, to maybe understand how they see things a little bit better or use a perspective that you might not be comfortable with to get more comfortable with your perspective and to upgrade it that way. You know, it's, that's, um, that's a pretty common thing in a lot of the Zen Buddhist canonical writings is that they're based on stories. There's usually an anecdotal story that you're supposed to glean some piece of knowledge from. And I'll, I'll get into that, maybe not next episode, but we're definitely going to get into more of those types of things. But if you think of it, like, let's just, let's, let's dumb it down and to bring it into maybe more of a modern perspective, just reading in general, right? If you read, you have fiction and nonfiction. Well, most nonfiction is a perspective piece. A nonfiction writer will write about what happened from specific perspective, they might try to include other perspectives. You know, this is essentially persuasive writing is that, but then you have fiction, which is perceptional writing. It's a, a fiction writer is trying to perceive things through their characters and then, or a specific one character and give you the perception of like, the situation as a whole. And we can sometimes use our perspective to jump into theirs and, and use that to maybe change how we think about things. It's always like reading as an option or, you know, 
taking a step back from maybe some of your favorite pieces of entertainment and seeing how your perspective works in that situation. Um, one of, I will say it, I love anime as a, a format for story because it can do things that like at live action maybe can't so much. Um, specifically, if you want an amazing story, um, if you want to start out in anime, uh, grab a, a pint of ice cream or your favorite snack or feeling sad meal of choice or snack of choice and go watch a silent voice. A silent voice is, I think, the best representation of how anime can tell a story that is so intrinsically human and emotion driven in a way that a normal, like live action couldn't tell that story. It just, the acting would not be able, the voice acting in it is fantastic. I've never actually watched the, um, the dubbed English version, but the subtitle version, if you're into that, I, I've heard good things about the dub. I watched the subtitle just cause that's how I, I do things. But that story is a great stepping off point in what anime can do as a storytelling medium. And it, I can't ruin it in any way. It's a very, it's a deep, emotionally driven, amazing story. Um, the writer whose name I cannot remember. She's an, she's an amazing storyteller. And that particular story got overshadowed a little bit um, by your name here. I think it was, which is again, another great one, but specifically a silent voice is, I think the best piece of showing the best anime for showing what anime can do as a medium. And the story itself is amazing. And I would challenge you to go watch that or read Marcus Aurelius or get into, uh, listen to Alan Watts. He does a fantastic job explaining Zen Buddhism for the Western mind. And when you're doing these things, add your perspective to it. Would your perspective be able to deal with those situations that these characters are in, these individuals are talking about? Could you perceive clearly enough to deal with these things? That's what nonfiction, fiction writing, writing in general, storytelling, I think really does for a person. Once you, once you can learn that you can take that step back and insert maybe yourself to the story and think about how you specifically would, would deal with or how you would find your way in those storylines, I think is a, a very powerful tool to create a bit more self-awareness in ourselves is instead of just taking, you know, I get the want or the need for just downtime and just like turn your brain off and like take in entertainment, but storytelling as a medium can be a great place to pick up more self-awareness and more, you know, control over our, our mental aspects by using them as thought experiments like we were talking about to upgrade your perspective. So one of the best ways I've ever done this, I'll leave you with this, um, this thought experiment that I used to do. I still do to this day, actually. I would take a favorite childhood uh, or adolescent entertainment source, 
Um, specifically, it's usually a movie or maybe even just sometimes a TV show. Uh, and sometimes I'll do it with um, stuff that I've picked up in more modern time. But I'll take one of those sources of entertainment. And then I'll take a childhood meal I really liked. Um, specifically, maybe one that didn't have, you know, the happiest memories or something along those lines, but like a meal I liked. And then put the two together. And just have a new experience as a quote unquote adult now or an older individual. And, you know, not just have the nostalgia effect, but uh, kind of rewrite what's going on in that feeling of moment, in that perspective. How did I used to perceive these things? What was my perspective back then? And now what is it now? And kind of put those things together. Do I still enjoy that meal? You know, is a cold can of SpaghettiOs still as delicious as I remember it? You know, is it as, as comforting? And then, you know, whatever movie I might throw at it, like th those types of things. But that was, a, that's a thought experiment I've done quite a few times. And it's, it's definitely upgraded my perception and helped me create a better understanding of the perspectives I'm creating now. So it's time. You have to do this for yourself. I urge you to try. I urge you to do the Gary Ch Gary Vaynerchuk. Just start. Go check out some of his stuff. He's, he talks about self-awareness and, you know, mental health and these things. Um, and he's in perpetuity. He's always, you know, he's consistent. He follows one of my, my great rules. Repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is his father. He follows that. So go check out all these different sources and create a new perspective, create new perceptions. Do it for yourself over all other things because the collective is not going to do it for you anymore. And that's, that's my, that's my warning and my urge for the conversation of perspective is it's time to take control of yours and go create a new one or an upgraded one and just understand the way you look at the world and understand that that can change and should change. So good luck, have fun, take care. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.